0: Hello, and welcome to A most Story. My name is Joe Enos, and this is a podcast where I cover different topics and provide you with stories from my own life. I'm a 37-year-old gay man, a brother of seven siblings, an immigrant from the Azores Islands, a healthcare worker, a Seattle resident, and sometimes just a guy with a microphone ranting. This is episode number 20, part two of my childhood stories, and now we enter into my high school stories. Thank you all for listening. And remember, tell your friends, subscribe, and write a review. Welcome to a mo Story. For the most part, I would say that my high school experience was a normal one, like anyone else's. I actually enjoyed going to high school. It was kind of a fashion show and a big social event. And so I have a lot of really interesting stories and a lot of fun that I'm going to tell you about. Well, I did have a lot of fun in high school, I was short. I think as a freshman, I may have been 5'6", maybe 5'5 at the time. I wrestled 80 pounds. And the girls used to all make fun of me because in my little onesie, you could see my little wiener sticking out in the front. But I would say that that was probably the one thing that if I could, I would go back and change because it kept me from playing a lot of other sports. It kept me from being a little bit more out there physically. And it just kind of hindered me. Now I have no issues with my height and love my size. And because I was short, I had made up in my mind that Short guys had small dicks. I was 21 years old before I realized that that was not true and that I had a pretty big dick. But in high school, I thought I had a small dick. So entering into my freshman year, I was a little hesitant because of my size, thinking I had a small dick, and just being a freshman. There was rumors going around the school that oftentimes the upperclassmen would throw you in a garbage can, and you'd have to get yourself out. There were these big, huge, yellow garbage cans, and nobody wanted that to happen, and especially not me. So my freshman year, I kind of laid low and didn't allow too many people to see me. Honestly, I was a student body officer and I did opening and closing ceremonies for FFA. But otherwise, I kind of was trying to be out of sight, at of mind, because I was afraid that the upperclassmen were going to put me in a garbage can. I even tried to make myself disappear during PE because I was afraid that they would see me change or that somebody would say something to me or, or bully me or something. And... Eventually I got over that, but my freshman year I remember very specifically being like, if they don't see me and if I don't say anything, no one will know I'm here. That being said, my best friend was a girl named Shauna, and I had a couple other friends that were girls as well. I had a lot of guy friends too, but mostly Shauna and a friend of mine named Garrett because we lived around the corner from each other, and so we've known each other since we were in kindergarten. Well, Shauna was the prettiest girl in school, and was a cheerleader, and she did every sport possible and was good at it. So she had a lot of friends and a lot of girlfriends. So whenever she'd have a new girlfriend, come over, spend the night or something, I'd end up over there because her parents had known me since I was four years old. And so it didn't matter that I was there spending the night and whatnot. And I'd end up fooling around with this girl. So I kind of started getting the reputation around school that I had probably fingered every girl in my school. Now, each grade of my school had 100 kids in it, Till the day I graduated. So from elementary, kindergarten, all the way up through high school, there was 100 kids in each grade. I'm not kidding. I probably fingered a lot of girls in my school to the point that the joke around school was Joe's fingers been in it. That was the big joke that I had had my finger in everybody. I'm going to segue a little from that story only because I'm going to start with 1992, the year to remember. Why is that year important? Well, one, that was also the year that I had gone to a school dance and fingered a girl on my typing teacher's steps in front of the typing class and wiped my finger on the steps. And the day that I graduated from high school, the smear mark was still on the steps. 1992 was also the year I got my driver's license. And it was what I would call the summer to remember. So earlier that year, my parents had decided they would be going to Portugal for the summer. And knowing that I had just gotten my driver's license and I didn't want to go to Portugal, I made up a story that I had to go to summer school to make up classes or to get more credits in order to graduate. So, of course, no parent would ever think, why the heck would their kid want to go to summer school? So they believed me. And so I had to stay back with my brother who was five years older than me while my parents went to Portugal for the summer. The day before they left, I was sitting around the house and talking to my dad. And I'm like, so what car are you leaving me to drive while you're gone? He's like, no, 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 you're not getting a car. You're getting the old pickup from the dairy, which was stick shift. Now, I knew how to drive stick, but I wasn't very good at it. And I was like, shit, I'm going to have to freaking drive that damn stick shift all summer long. So day one of driving the old pickup that stick shift, I started stalling in first gear. So I just decided, eh, why stop at stop signs and just keep going in first gear or second gear, which obviously was not smart. About three or four days into driving that pickup, I was on the highway and I stopped because the traffic stopped and the car kept stalling and it, or the pickup kept stalling. And I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. I was in like fourth gear trying to drive and literally everybody was honking behind me and it was so embarrassing. And I finally figured out that I was in fourth gear trying to go. Another time I drove 16 miles with the parking brake on. So day one, my parents leave. I was working at the dairy and then I was meeting up with some friends at what we would call a thank you dinner. And thank you dinner is a dinner that uh, an organization puts on for the farmers who gave different things for some celebration or for some event. And they do these big like steak and oyster and all you can drink kind of thing. And my mother had left me tickets for one. So I went with some friends of mine and I got fucking drunk. I mean, bombed drunk. My parents had barely left maybe five hours before. So now I'm too drunk to drive. So I get in with my friend Diane who had also been working on her farm and been clipping animals that day. And she had her old, uh, clipping clothes in the back of her car, but had changed and showered when we were going out. We went to this place called Sharky's and I remember getting there and being so fucking drunk. And it was a pool hall, brand new place. And it was kind of in a strip mall. And we got in there and I remember sitting in there thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to be sick any minute. I'm going to fucking vomit. So I start going towards the door. Diane is in front of me. And right as I get through the door, I just kind of push everything forward. And next thing I knew, I projectile vomit all over Diane and all over the door and the front of this establishment called Sharky's. Well, my friends smartly realized that, oh, shit, I just freaking projectile vomited all over this business, threw me in Diane's car and drove me home. And I passed out. The next morning, I woke up to, oh, my God, tons of freaking phone calls. One, like I said, Sharky's was in a strip mall, so they had no water. So they had to kind of get water from somewhere else and bring buckets and pour it out in the front. So they called the cops. The cops were looking for me. And Diane was still going out with people and she had a date. So she had to put her clipping clothes on, which were all itchy, full of cow hair, because I'd vomited all over her back. The next weekend, I got invited to a party in Modesto with some friends. And, the, you know, Modesto was like the big city kind of thing compared to us. We had only 3,900 people, and Modesto had near 100,000 people. We get to this party, and all of a sudden, somebody says like, oh, they're doing cocaine in the back room. And me and my friends looked at each other, and we're like, we gotta go. Because in our little heads, in our small town, and also from 21 Jump Street, whenever people started doing cocaine or drugs, the police were gonna come. So we had to hurry up and leave before the police came. Well, you would've thought that would've stopped me, but no. We then proceeded to go to a party on a canal bank, which literally is just a dirt kind of road out by someone's field. And of course the cops ended up coming. And so we were all turning our trucks around and trying to get out of there. And I got my truck stuck in a ditch. Yeah, we're talking weekend number two. Now remember boys and girls, this is 1992. There's no cell phones. So we literally sat there and waited until a farmer came by and he asked if he could grab his tractor and pull me out of the ditch, which thank God he did. Oh, shit. I got ahead of myself. I have another story that I wanted to tell you about 1992. So 1992 was when I got my driver's license. And my birthday is at the end of March. And every couple of years, it falls around Easter. And so this year, when I turned 16, my birthday fell on Good Friday. And my mother would not let me go get my driver's license until April Fool's Day. But a couple months before, I would say probably late January, early February, there was a big party in town and I really wanted to go. And my brother's girlfriend had said that I could borrow her car because I was 15 and a half. I was going to be getting my driver's license any month now. And she didn't care. Well, I called a couple friends and I said, yeah, I'm going to drive. I'll come get you and whatnot. And started to get ready. And my brother told me, no, 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 no. Good try. You're not driving Nancy's car. She's an idiot. She should have never said, yes, you're not driving her car because you don't have a driver's license and you're going to be out late at night. So, no, sorry. Well, I was pissed. And I had already made plans. So my brother had a key lock on his bedroom door because his girlfriend would spend the night there oftentimes and he didn't want my parents to know. But at that time, our house had single pane windows and the kind that you could kind of like push up and push in. So they went to the movies. I went outside the house, pushed his window in pulled myself through the window, got her keys, and got ready. I then pushed her car out of my driveway and partially down the street and picked up my three friends, and we were off. We then picked up two more people, and let me tell you, she had an Isuzu car. It was so tiny, and in the back seat of it had an actual big speaker box, so, like, no one could kind of really fit back there, but two people did manage to get back there. And we went all night long to different parties, people's houses, and... I saw cops, nothing, no issues whatsoever. At one in the morning, I pulled into my driveway to a California highway patrol sitting in my driveway, my mother in a rope with curlers on, my brother and his girlfriend sitting there and me pulling up in her car. Well, my brother knew that I had the car, but he wanted to be a dick. And so they called the police and said that I had stolen it. So immediately when I got out of the car, the policeman grabs me, pulls me to the side, it gives me this huge lecture about how they would have held me at gunpoint, how i, you know, broke the law and i stole this car, i was not supposed to be driving, i could have my driver's license, you know, suspended if he were to have his way and my brother and my brother's girlfriend decided not to press any charges or anything, my mother had already talked to the policeman and so he said i'm going to release you to your mother and just consider this a warning. My mother then looks at me and says, "Get inside." Before your dad wakes up and I never want to hear about this ever again. So the next morning I get up and I go to the table to have breakfast and she made me pancakes and I said, Hey mom, can I have butter? And she just looked at me and she said, Oh, you need things. You want things. Oh, I guess you just have to have everything. You you just, you know, aren't happy with anything. You have to always want more. And I was like, Whoa, what the hell? And then I realized, Oh shit. She had not forgotten. She, for probably a month, would literally sit at the dining room table across from me and eat and just look at me with this face of disgust. My parents were not physical, but they were the most psychologically damaging people. Constantly, whenever you would do something and you were in trouble. And my dad never found out. All right, so back to the summer to remember. Still the same year, but now it's mid-June. And when my parents left, they had left me three hundred and fifty dollars cash for groceries, for whatever I wanted to do. And I also was working on the dairy, so I would get my own little paycheck at that time. So I went and bought tons of groceries and then decided to eat fast food almost every single day and none of the groceries. And that three hundred fifty dollars was gone probably within that first month. Oh, and also my friend Gorette, her boyfriend at the time was four years older than me. And so he had a fake ID and we looked alike. So I had his fake ID. So I would buy a lot of Zima. And that's also where that $350 went to. So I became very poor, very quickly. I would beg my brother for money. He would be like, nope, sorry. I rolled pennies and I tried to work more on the dairy, but you know, they just paid me so irregularly and and so randomly that it was like, man, I was just Freaking broke for that most of that whole summer, but I still managed to go out, still managed to have an amazing time. One night, I don't know where or how, but I ended up drinking a lot of Zima and woke up at the lake in the back of my pickup, vomited with a trail of vomit from my mouth into the pickup and literally onto the sand. And no one was there except for me. I have no idea how I got there. I just kind of finished passing out and then got up in the morning and drove my pickup back home. Another night, I attempted to smoke pot for the first time and got so like, I guess, high or like kind of out of it that I hit a freaking mailbox with my pickup and I couldn't figure out if it came at me or if I hit it. This same summer, I was introduced to this guy who was really kind of infamous and well-known and for good and bad reasons, but he at a very young age had started a cell phone business and he would sell cell phones through his cell phone store. And at the time when you sold a cell phone to somebody, you got a $250 credit. So he would get $250. So he made a lot of money. Well, the first cell phone business got really popular. So then he opened up another, and then he started realizing that, He didn't have to necessarily sell the cell phones. He could just make up that he was selling them and get the $250. Well, that eventually he got busted doing. And so some of the cell providers at the time, which was like U.S. Cellular or Cellular One, would not sell to him anymore. So he had to use different people's names or his parents helped him out so that he could cover up that it was him selling these phones. But because he was doing so much illegal shit, His parents didn't know necessarily how much money he was making, how much he was spending and whatnot. And he liked cars. So the first car he bought that summer was an Acura NSX. I mean, beautiful car. That was the first time I had ever heard Babies Got Back was in that thing, driving like 100 miles an hour with the windows down in the passenger seat, just unbelievably having a blast. Well, then he quickly after that bought a Jeep Jeep, Renegade Wrangler, which had these big huge tires, and it was gorgeous. And then after that, he bought the brand new GMC blazer, which had just come out with the new body style, and it was kind of this goldishy brown color. It was gorgeous. But his parents only knew about one of the cars. So he constantly had to kind of flip the cars. And since I had no parents for the summer, he left them at my house with the keys. And so quickly. I graduated from my old farm pickup to either drive an Acura NSX, a Jeep, or a new GMC Blazer, which nobody had at that time. So it was early August when I had decided that it was time for me to have a party. My parents were going to be back in about three weeks, and I thought it was about the perfect time. So I let everybody know, and the word got around. We put out flyers. I had kegs brought in. I hired this guy named Johnny Nonick, who was the guy that used to take the money for the cups at the door. And we had a party. Let me tell you, it was fucking out of control. I will tell you it more like this. My parents called me and said that the neighbors had called them to let them know that I had a party. And that there was people on the second story of our house. And people passed out in the front yard and in the back until the next morning. And I told my parents, I'm like, we live in a one story house. The neighbors across the street are drunks. You know that. Like, I don't even know why you're believing them. And how would people just be drunk all over the house? I mean, come on, mom. There's such a lie. Oh, no, it was not a lie. So at some point, I don't know when, people got on the roof. Um, In the morning, I woke up and there was probably about 60 people passed out in the front and in the backyard of my house. There were people passed out all over the house. We did cake stands. my parents' dining room table with a keg. We uh, ended up, like, smoking just the most ridiculous thing ever. Um, Two girls lost their virginity in my closet, of all places, I don't know why, and um, I ended up, like, having sex with some girl in my bunk bed in my own bedroom. Well, I also didn't realize that a couple people had thrown up in the bathroom, And remember, I said there was about three weeks left before my parents got home. Well, I wasn't the most cleanliness at that age. And I didn't even realize that like one of the toilets had major vomit stains and it wouldn't come out. My sister even came and tried to help me. So I had to fucking buy a new toilet before my parents got home so they wouldn't know. The week before my parents came home, I was broke. I mean, majorly broke. And I had rolled my last of my pennies and I had exactly two dollars. So in those days, you could get a gallon of gasoline for 99 cents, or you could get a pack of Virginia Slim menthols out of the big bin in the middle of the, the Circle K that you would just go right into the cigarette bin and just pull out whatever cigarettes you wanted, and they were 99 cents. And I debated which one I was going to spend the money on, and obviously, I ended up spending it on the gas because I needed to be able to get to the dairy and just be able to do anything. And... I had one cigarette left and I remember my friend Garrett lit it and as she went to go ash out, like a big truck went by and the wind blew and it fell out. And that was the last cigarette of the summer. When I went to summer school, it was only half the summer and I got extra credits so that my senior year I could just chill and my parents didn't know otherwise. And when I went back to high school, this was the beginning of my junior year. It was like I had become a freaking superstar one, people talked about the party forever. Even teachers talked about it because they had heard about it Two, It was like, everybody was like, Joe, what a summer, man. You had a summer. And I was like, yep. And it was fucking awesome to just be like the coolest guy at the school for, you know, half a month, whatnot, after having this amazing freaking summer. Now, remember my friend with all the cars? Well, he still didn't have a place to put them. So what we did was we parked them down the street from my house and, um, uh, Every now and then I would be like, oh, mom, I'm dead. I'm just going to walk, whatever, whatnot. And I'd go take the keys and I would drive one of his cars and go do all kinds of different things. And they didn't have any clue. So I got to still keep the blazer actually for quite a bit of time. I think like almost a year. Now, in my first part of this episode, number 20, I talked about my eighth grade being the school office aide and how the. Office secretary hated everyone, but she loved me. Well, I had office aid every single year my freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior year. She would literally call me out of class. I'd be sitting in class and I'd all of a sudden get like either overhead, come to the office, or I'd get a note. The teacher would tell me, Mr. Enos, go to the office. And I would get there and she'd go, you see that girl that's here today? I'm like, yeah. She's like, I don't like her. Can you get rid of her? I'm like, okay. She goes, and can you stay the whole day? So oftentimes I wouldn't even be in class for the whole day. Well, because I was a little bit of a chatterbox and I was always socializing and fucking typing. In these days you had to have your eraser ribbon, which was kind of like a whiteout that you would put in front of uh, where the typewriter keys would type up and you could then erase like mistakes. You had to have one in order to get into typing. Well, the student store sold them, but I had typing before the student store opened. And so I needed my eraser ribbon and I'd always freaking forget it. In my typewriter when I would leave. And so I'd be running around before typing, looking for a fucking eraser ribbon, which then would make me tardy and I would get freaking, you know, tardy notices. Well, because I had so many tardy notices, I had to, go to four Saturday schools. So I go to the first Saturday school and I sit down and I was probably there maybe just 30 minutes. And he said, Mr. Enos, come up front. And I went up to the front and he said, you're excused. And I said, I am. And he said, yes, for all your Saturdays. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't ask any questions. I just left. One Monday, when I got back to the office, Michelle, the office secretary said, how was Saturday school? I said, I was excused, and she said, huh, interesting how that happens. She was the one who got me out of all my Saturday schools. On Valentine's Day, my junior year, I got a notice from the office to go because something had been delivered for me. When I got there, there was this big, giant sand thing kind of holding balloons, and I noticed it was huge, and as I grabbed it, I noticed that, like, a lot of balloons were attached to it, and a lot of them were coming. Michelle had sent me a 100 red balloons, and when I picked it up and started to carry it, she said, I wanted to see if you'd fly away. My favorite story about Michelle, the school secretary, is one time she answered the phone and she said, Helmer High School, can I help you? And she said, what? I'm sorry, I don't speak that language. And she hung up the phone. It was now time for my senior year, the best year of all years. My senior year started out with me having to take P.E., as my first period and we swam and Michelle would get me out of PE because she said she didn't want me to have to go redo my hair, which was awesome. And I ran for senior class president and won. I ran on the pitch of Joe, choice of the new generation, because that was the Pepsi slogan back then. My brother's wife at the time worked for PepsiCo and she could get Pepsi's for like 20 something cents. So I got every student in the student body a chilled Pepsi with a little bag of candy and a little thing in it that said, vote for Joe choice of the new generation. We would make signs upon signs and put them up everywhere. And there was like six people running against me and I had signs everywhere, but they also did too. Well, one day I came in the morning to school and I was like, Hey, I don't see anyone else's signs. Only my signs are here. And I saw Michelle and I said, Michelle, did you notice that none of the other kids Signs up. She goes, I had the janitor take them all down. You're the only one who has signs up now. And I won. I was senior class president. I also ran for student body officer. I won that too. And I, because I had in 1992 taken summer school and had all those extra credits, I had hardly any classes to take. Well, let me back that up. So I think it was my junior year, I met with the school guidance counselor. And one, she told me the funniest fucking thing I think I've ever heard. She said, well, really, you're going to be one of two things. One, a truck driver. Two, popular. I said, what? And she said, well, a truck driver because you like to drive around in your car. And two, popular because you like to socialize all day long. And I said, how does this popular thing work? And she said, get out of my office. Well, when we had that visit, I don't know how, but... On slow days in the office, Michelle would say, why don't you go get your student file and see what we can take out of it? And she would like rip things up and just kind of go through it and like organize it and just pull shit out. I was like, oh my God. And when I met with the student um, counselor, the advisor, I was noticing that I hadn't taken a lot of the classes that were mandatory or that I was supposed to take. Shit, I didn't even take two years of PE. Well, Michelle kind of either put grades in or vouched for me or somehow linked it up. I mean, I went to school and I took lots of classes, but I didn't take all the classes that I think one needed to. I also was selected for a regional occupation program, which is where you get to spend half of your school day at a local business, um, learning either a job or a trade. And I went to the hospital. And so Originally, at that time, I wanted to go into like merchandising and marketing. And so I worked in the materials management area. And after about a month, I kind of conquered it. It was pretty easy. And the girl who was in surgery had decided that she didn't like it. And so she left the program. And they asked me if I wanted to go in surgery. And I was like, hell, yeah. Even though it was just an observing position. I was like, heck, yeah. Well, about a month into that, I got bored and I couldn't just stand there. So I started doing little things and they let me and they would show me and train me how to do other little basic things, things you didn't need a license for. And it was awesome. Sometimes when I was at my regional occupational program, I would get a page overhead or the hospital secretary would call me and say, your high school's on the line. And it would be Michelle. She'd be like, can you pick up Taco Bell for all of us? I'm like, sure. So then I'd have to go get Taco Bell. Well, one time on one of my Taco Bell trips, I came back and there was no parking because I would come back around noon, one o'clock, and her Taco Bell got cold. So she solved that. I then from then on had a parking pass for the faculty parking, um, and I had a designated spot right by the entrance to the office. That year, we were also short lockers because of them doing some construction. And so people had to share lockers and I did not. I had two. Michelle gave me two, one to put my coats in and one for my books. I was also in the school play, Scapino. I was waiter number two. And it played for, I think, three or four weekends. And my parents came to every show and sat there in the audience watching, not understanding a word of it because they only spoke Portuguese and were there every single show, which was the sweetest thing ever. I also was in Greece and I ended up being selected as a junior leader my junior year and was then nationally recognized and became a senior leader and ran a convention for all of the schools in the region for a leadership convention, me and six of my friends. I won the Lions Club speech contest with my speech on penguins. I showed my cow at two fairs for FFA and had a grand champion cow. My classmates voted me best dressed and class leader, most likely to succeed. And I was selected as a camp counselor for the sixth grade youth that go for a week to a camp on leadership and development. And I went when I was in sixth grade and the seniors are usually the ones who are the counselors. And I was one of the seniors who got selected to go be a counselor for the week. And it's funny, whenever I see my little kids from the camp, Now they're adults, they're like 30-something years old. They always come and run over to me to like say hi and talk to me like as if we're the bestest of friends ever. And then I won Prom King. And I was given honors for my academics and spoke at graduation and presented an award to one of our teachers as well as I had a special seat in the front because of my ropes that I wore. I got to go with the drama club to San Francisco to see Buddy Holly, uh, the play at the time, which was hilarious. And I was nominated vice president of a Portuguese fraternal brotherhood organization that is in California that is called the Sociedad de Espírito Santo, which is the Society of the Holy Ghost, which now it's merged into something else. And it's a organization that is a fraternal organization that also provides health insurance, uh, excuse me, life insurance for people as whole life policy so you can retire with them that kind of thing and they have a youth president and a senior president and your responsibility if you choose after you're elected is that you go all over the state every i'm not kidding like every week during the week you have somewhere to be on the weekends you have another dinner and they present you with a cake and a plaque and all kinds of different things and you're going in spare Uh, spreading the betterment of this organization all over the state of California. So I was nominated my senior year as vice president. And the year after I graduated, I ended up being president of the organization. Before I graduated, the seniors had the opportunity to pick the final art project for themselves. And so Gorette, a couple months before we had gone to prom and she had sat on my lap and realized that I had a big dick and was playing with it. And she called me Three Finger Joe, which was the thickness of my dick. So she decided that the art project that year, first senior year, would be Three Finger Joe. So they all drew three fingers next to themselves and my name on it. And the art teacher had no idea, but he thought it was the coolest thing because it exhibited, you know, the ability to do human drawings and all this different shit and whatnot. And if you look at our yearbook, there's Three Finger Joe, the art project. I'd say my senior year was kind of a combination of a John Hughes film and Ferris Bueller's Day Off because I was best dressed. It was the end of the 80s, early 90s and we were still fashionable like we were back in the 80s. I had uh, vans that matched with everything, every single color and varnays and bum equipment shirts. And also I had Michelle at my back. So I had, you know, faculty parking and Lily could get away with anything because she always had my back. Well, it is nice to relive these wonderful memories. I think that'll be it for my stories. You've now learned a lot about me. Congratulations. So I do want to bring up the fact that I have been missing and that my life just kind of catapulted into being so busy that I haven't had time to do anything other than just work and rest. I am loving my new job, but it is very consuming of my energy when I get home because I'm working all kinds of different shifts um, right now as I'm training, but that will become a little bit more normal. Also, I don't know what I did, but I could not get on the internet with my MacBook Pro. And so that's where I record this podcast. And so I had like for a week and a half, I couldn't get on. I had to have Apple support help me. And um, I just, I've been kind of distracted, but I will try to be much more diligent and put out podcasts because I know that there are people who do enjoy this. And it might not be weekly, and they might be a little bit shorter, and they might just be a little bit more rants or kind of what's going on. But I will include stories, and I hope that you keep listening. I want to thank you for listening. Um, Again, this is a Mo story. Please remember to tell your friends, write a review, and subscribe. Have a good one, and we'll see you on the next episode. And before I go, I want to tell you a little joke. Listen to this song. And see if you know what it is. Push me, and then just touch me, till I can get my satisfaction. 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 Push me, and then just hurt me, till I can get my satisfaction. 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 Satisfaction 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 Any guesses? Why, it's Stephen Hawking's at Jeffrey Epstein's Island. Push me and then just touch me till I can get my satisfaction. You're welcome. Take care, everyone. We'll see you on the next episode.